So uh, this week, friends, we conclude. Thanks so much, Bradley. Thank you. We conclude our three-week series called Faith, Hope, and Love. It's been based on the famous love passage from the book of 1 Corinthians 13, uh, where the Apostle Paul writes to the church, and he talks about love, and he defines it for us by referring to various characteristics of love. You know, he says things like love is patient, love is kind, etc. And this passage in 1 Corinthians 13 ends with this well-known verse, which has been the focus of our series. It's, and now these three remain, faith, hope, love, and the greatest of these is? Love, yes. So the Apostle Paul is saying that there are three great pursuits, uh, uh, virtues, values of the Christian journey, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of those is love. And the verses before explain why love is the greatest. We're going to read the chapter together in a moment. And just to kind of help us understand the application uh, of this verse, we have used the now famous bicycle analogy that has uh, got a facelift from week one to week two. If we've got the bike up there, can we put it up there, chaps? There it is. Your life 2.0, because the version 1.0 that Lloyd did was quite shocking. He was like, yeah, no, you can keep that bike. It's fine. But what we've said in this series, you can keep it up there, guys, is that faith from this passage is likened to the frame. We said faith is the shape of the thing. It's the design of the bike, right? This is how it's held together with our faith. We said that hope, that's the pedals and the chain of the bike. That's the thing, that's the energy that gets it going. It's the motivation for and, and how we move forward. That's what hope is, right? And then finally, love, which we're going to touch on today, that's the handlebars and the wheels. That's the direction of the thing. It's the aim of the bike. Right? So that's just been a little analogy that's been helpful. And, and here's why the conversation is important. Here's sort of the punchline of that analogy. We said that without faith, the bike is shapeless. We said without hope, the bike is motionless. And without love, the bike is aimless. And we've represented our spiritual journeys as that bike. This is our, this is our destiny. This is the journey that we're on. This is our makeup as spiritual people. And we said without faith, the bike is shapeless. Without hope, it's motionless. And without love, it's aimless. And so our attempt in this series has been how to live by faith, live in hope, and live with love. Because we want to make sure that our bikes are in good condition, right? We've got some potholes in South Africa that we face. And those were representative of the demands that life throws at us. And we want to make sure that our bikes, our spiritual journeys, can withstand what is thrown our way. Are you with me this morning? So we're going to do a little bit of unpacking today on the different kinds of love because we're in week three, faith, hope, love, the different kinds of love that we find in Scripture. Because it's important that we make some distinctions there to, between the different types or kinds of love. If you don't already know, in the Greek language, which the New Testament was written in, there's a difference when you say, I love my wife, and I love this steak that I'm eating. And it's important. We get an understanding of what the difference is, because there, there should be a difference. <laughs> right? Yes, jeepers, longest amen I've ever waited for. Very different message series coming next week on relationships. Um, but then we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna look at, at at the goal of this week from there. Once we've unpacked the different kinds of love, uh, to 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 how to avoid this thing of aimlessness because that's the goal. We want to live pointing somewhere. We want our spiritual journeys to be going in the right direction. So how do we avoid aimlessness? The title of our message this morning is "Take Aim, Take Aim," not at the person, 
It's not that kind of sermon, although based on the previous pause in the amen, we might have to address that sometime. It's, it's, it's take aim. Let's, let's make sure that our spiritual journeys are heading in the right directions, that we're living with love, and we've got a good bike. Amen. Now, you know, I thought a lot about which angle to take when I was preparing the message. I mean, how do you narrow down God's love as a topic into just one or two things? I had this kind of, this could go anywhere type of preparation process, but I suppose what sort of guided me is, we, you know, you always have to bear in mind this, this key verse that you're focusing on and, and what the author who wrote that verse intended to get across to the audience to which he wrote it, in the time in which he wrote it, right? You have to, you have to give honor to that word. And so after reading through this passage again and again and again, thinking about the context in which the Apostle Paul wrote it, I realized that one of the most significant themes running through this 1 Corinthians 13 is this theme of meaning, this idea of aiming somewhere, living with significance, and why and how that's important. I mean, he says things like, if I speak with the tongues of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Give it a, give it a moment there, guys. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get there. Without love, tongues are noisy. I have, if I have the gift of prophecy, we're going to read that just now. He says, and if I understand all mysteries and knowledge, if I have faith that I can move mountains, I mean, hello, that's a pretty, pretty cool gift. He says, but if I have that and not love, um, nothing. It's quite, it's quite hectic words. It's quite a harsh, in a way, statement that he's making. And this, 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 this is a picture of how centrally important love is to everything that we do. And it became clearer and clearer that, you know, to me that, as I, as I read these verses, this is why it's so important. Without love, there is no meaning. Our journey is aimless. You can have all the gifts, all the faith, all the miracles, all the prophecy, all the generosity, but you don't have love, it's no profit. There's no meaning. It's a, it's a radical revelation on this call to live our lives in love that the Apostle Paul is giving us here. And it I think it speaks to a big question that a lot of us still sit with today as people. How many times have you heard the question posed in a conversation of some kind, what is the meaning of life? Ever heard anyone ask that question? In fact, it's the question that we address in week one of the Alpha course when we do it. What is the meaning of life? What's the big idea? What's, what's my purpose in life? To put it another way. I'm sure, of us, I'm sure all of us at some stage have sat with that question in varying degrees. Maybe, maybe like me, you wrestled with that in terms of a career. How do I know that what I'm doing is what God wants me to do? How do I know that I'm in the career choice that he has planned for me? How do I know that this is his purpose or this is my purpose? You know, I remember sitting with, with this uh, exact tension one day and I've told some of my friends and people that I know about this story, but it was 11.55 on a Monday morning and I had until 12 p.m. to give a prospective future employer, a yes or no. Was I going to say yes to this new invitation or not? Stick it out where I am. And I was working for a company at the time that didn't feel like me. I was in a role that that just didn't feel like me. It felt like I was climbing up a hill to a destination that didn't have my name on it. Like I was going in this this direction that just didn't feel like I was part of that environment. And while it was growing me, for sure, it also started changing me as a person. And that's when it got a little bit tricky. And, and I remember sitting in my lounge, 11.55, watching a DVD by Louis Giglio called Passion and Purpose. 
Anyone ever seen that DVD as a matter of interest? Passion and Purpose. And I remember watching that DVD and sitting there at 11.55 going, okay, Lord, I'm watching a Christian DVD, you know. It's 11.55, can the angel just come down and be, thou shalt say yes or no? Like, give me some guidance here, you know. Um, and thinking back, I, I didn't end up taking the job, by the way, and it, it turned out to be a rather traumatic next six months that followed. But um, the job became available again, so there's a whole redemptive plan to the story. That's a sermon for another day. But looking back on that season of my life where I sat with that question, I almost realized that I had the wrong mindset about it, this thing of meaning and purpose. I was looking at the question of purpose in the incorrect way. You see, I thought that I would find meaning and purpose in what I did, where actually it's in how I did it that mattered. You see, that's why the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, if it's not done with love, it's meaningless. It's aimless. We also know in letters like Colossians 3, he says, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's whatever you do. It was more about the method. And so I thought, I thought about this a lot in the context of, of, of careers. You know, thinking about being a financial planner, I mean, you know, mountain-moving faith. Even that, without love, it's nothing. So there's that context in which we wrestle with this question of purpose. Or maybe, maybe you've wrestled with it from another perspective. Maybe you've hit one of those obstacles in the road in your journey, one of those potholes that we find a lot of in South Africa at the moment, after the rains, especially in Jebe. Um, but maybe you hit this obstacle and it caused you to, to question everything. Like, what on earth am I doing this for? Why am I here? What, what is the purpose of this? What's the meaning of this mess that I find myself in? Ever sat with that question before? I have. Plenty. Or maybe you've even thought about it from another perspective, like, is there even a God at all? Like, how is this God that you Christians talk about involved in my purpose at all? How does he involve himself in me? And like, if there is one, what's the point of worshipping him? Why? What's the, what's the meaning? And if that is you, I want you to know that you've come to the right place to figure that out. You're in the perfect church for that. There's our vision right there on the wall. That's what we're called to do. We, we, we call to, to relay an uncomplicated, simple, profound exposition of the gospel of Jesus. And you can figure that out with us. So stay where you are. You're in the right place, I promise. But no matter your perspective, whether you've wrestled with that question from a career or from a challenge or from a meaning of life point of view, I think the Apostle Paul gives us a glimpse at the answer in this passage in 1 Corinthians 13. He's showing us, he's showing us how living with love is the basis. It's the starting point for our lives to find meaning and purpose and avoiding this thing of aimlessness. And I want to take a few moments during our conversation this morning and look at how the Bible provides that kind of answer to this, to this all-important question. How can I live with purpose? That's what we're going to tackle this morning. Week one was, how do I know that the frame I've got, the faith I've got is solid? Week two was, can a Christian lose hope? We spoke about that, and then the question we attempted to answer, and then today is, how can I live with purpose? How do I know that my life has meaning? So I hope it's been a helpful series, and that you're going to find some more encouragement today as we wrap it up with this conversation on God's love. A quick little reminder of the foundational verse of the series, and, and like I said in, in week one, we're going to read the whole chapter together. All 147 verses. We should be done by 1140. I'm joking, it's only 13. We're going to read the whole chapter so you can tick off the 
You know, the reading plan in your Bible app today. I've read a chapter of Scripture in church. I get free filter coffee in heaven one day. See, Lord, look what I've done. But here we go. You guys ready? For the last time, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 to 13. Here we go. This is the Apostle Paul writing. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophecy... And know all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so that I can remove mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. Hardcore words. If I give away everything I own. And if I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love, I receive no benefit. What is love? It's patient. It's kind. It's not envious. Picture a relationship that looks like this. doesn't brag. It's not puffed up. Picture a family or a company treats its employees like this. It's not rude. It's not self-serving. It's not easily angered or resentful. It's not glad about injustice, but it rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. Could you do something really cheesy for me, church, and just repeat that? There we go. We're going, to get, we're going to get to that in a moment. But if there are prophecies, they'll be set aside. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there's knowledge, it will be set aside. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when what is perfect comes, the partial will be set aside. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became an adult, I put aside childish ways. For now we see in a mirror indirectly, but then when the fullness of the promise in Christ comes, we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known. And then here's the powerful ending that we've used as the foundation for this series. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So when it comes to understanding this question of meaning, and how living with love is the starting point to understand our meaning and purpose, I think it's a good idea to just take a brief moment and, and look at what is actually meant by that word love as it appears in the text. Um, because as we said just now, in the Greek language, there's actually four different kinds of words used to describe love, four different types. And the New Testament was written in Greek, and so if you do a little study on these words, you'll see that all four of them were used and referred to in Scripture that have different meanings. So let's just take one or two minutes, I think, maybe a bit more, and just explain what those are, because I think it's really, really helpful when it comes to understanding what type of love we've been called to live with, which is going to avoid aimlessness like we've been talking. So we need to be led with the right handlebars, right? We don't want plastic ones. Break off. We want proper, proper handlebars. So what is it? What is what does the Bible mean when it talks about love? Well, the first kind of love, and if you're the note-taking type, you can write this down. The first one is eros. Eros, what is that referring to? That's referring to romantic love, right? Or sensual love. It's typically the love that exists between a husband and a wife in marriage. A husband and a wife in marriage. Marriage. Husband and wife. It's repetition for the sake of effect. Some clear guidelines in Scripture though, right? Now, this word itself is not, is not explicitly used in the New Testament, but it's, it's clearly referenced in scriptures like 1 Corinthians 7 that talks about husbands and wives. Hebrews 13, right? And of course, Song of Solomon, again, which is a book that should be read between a husband and a wife. Um, what am I saying? Just 
Throw net, alsjeblieft. Dankie, sê die dominee. Okay, eros, romantic love. The second one, second definition of love in the, in the, in the Greek is phileo. There it is, phileo. Hope I'm pronouncing this correctly. Pastor George, if you're listening, forgive me if I've messed it up. Phileo. This means warm affection or friendship. That's what this love is defined by. It's typically used to describe brotherly or sisterly affection towards one another. A love of friends, if you want to call it that. That's what phileo means. It's the, that warm love that you feel, not necessarily only for family, but for people in general. The word appears a lot in Scripture. Proverbs 17, uh, verse 17, a friend is always loyal. And a brother is born to help in time of need. That's what phileo is. The New Testament, Jesus with his friend Lazarus. Lord, your dear friend is very sick. That's what Mary and Martha came and brought to Jesus. And that, that is phileo. That's that brotherly, sisterly, warm affection that we feel for one another. A love of friends. The third kind of love. Are you still with me? What's, what, what, what was the first one? And the second one? Yes, man. This is amazing. I love it. Come on. The third kind of love is called storge. Storge, storhe, if you want to get very Greek. Similar, similar kind of love to that phileo. It also exists between people, but it's more of a family kind of love, like that protective, nurturing kind of love that a mother or a father has for their kids. Mama bear, papa bear, right? Don't mess with the cubs, yeah? That's the kind of storge love that, we, that we're talking about here. It's also in that passage with, with, with Mary and Martha, they had this kind of family love over their brother, uh, uh, Lazarus. It's that deep care that we have within that bond of a family. And then finally, the, the, the last form of love, or the, or, the, or the last kind of love, is the highest form of love. Anyone know what it is? Agape. There we go. Yo, we've got a house of saved saints this morning. I love it. Agape, yes. What is this? This is God's love. This is God's love for us. It speaks about God's immeasurable and incomparable love for humanity. This is a love that was willing to suffer for others, endure the most difficult of odds without diminishing or succumbing to those odds. This kind of agape love, it doesn't need the chemistry of eros or the commonality of phileo or storge. It's those and everything else. This is, this is God's divine love for mankind. And this is the word that we've been reading about in 1 Corinthians 13. This is the definition that we've been talking about. And it's the same word that's used in the most famous verse in all of Scripture. John, for God so agape the world. This is the word. It kind of helps paint the picture for us, right? It helps us understand this, this passage and, and, and what Paul means when he says how faith, hope, and agape are the three things that remain. And I guess, you know, this is what it all comes down to when, when we consider how to live on purpose with meaning in our spiritual journeys. See, if we just consider for a moment, and we sort of touched on this throughout the series, there is an eternal destination that we are working towards as people. This isn't the final chapter. <laughs> We're on a journey somewhere. There's an eternal side to our existence, and faith Hope and love are the three greatest virtues to live with on that journey. And this is why love is so important. One day, faith will cease because it'll give way to sight. Hope will cease because we would have received that which we hoped for. Paul, in fact, says in Romans, why would anyone hope for something that they have received? But love will abide. 
as we spend more and more time with the one who loved us and who is love. You see, we will no longer need faith to believe him because we will see him as he is. We won't need hope to receive a promise because we would have received the fullness of the promise, but love will continue to grow as we spend eternity with him. That's why it says love never fails. <laughs> See how important it is. So why not? Why not embrace it now? Why not live with that love now? Why not represent that love to others? This kind of God's divine, everlasting, all-overcoming kind of love. Can you say amen to that this morning, church? So how do we do that? That's the question. How do we live avoiding aimlessness? How do we have meaning in our spiritual journeys? By embracing this call that we have, on first, uh, according to 1 Corinthians 13, to, to love one another with, with, with God's kind of love. This is how we find meaning. And the first way we do that, the first thing that we need to do is we need to comprehend what we've been given by being available to God. Oh, that's a big deal. We need to, we need to comprehend what we've been given by being available to God. You know, the story of the Christian faith is that through Jesus, all people were given free access to an open, loving relationship with God, the creator of the universe. And this happened when Jesus took our sin on himself, the sacrificial act of dying on the cross. This love cost God something. And through his resurrection on the dead, or from the dead on the third day, he purchased our eternal freedom. That's it. That's the gospel in a nutshell. And then we have received this grace. We have received as undeserving recipients this grace so glorious. And we have this invitation to apprehend or comprehend that kind of love by being available to God. You know, it's almost like saying this. It's almost like going from saying, I love you, Lord, to I love you too, Lord. There's a, there's a little shift that happens there. Kind of makes it personal, doesn't it? I love you, Lord. We, we recognize something, but then I love you too. It's like a, we start to apprehend. We start to realize that he loves you so much. <laughs> and part of our living on purpose is to say, I love you too. It's the, it's the growing in our understanding that we love because he first loved us. There's something that happens there when, when, it becomes, when, when it comes to our becoming available to God. It starts by recognizing he made the first move. And this idea of, of, of growing in our understanding is quite a big one. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes another letter to the church in Ephesus, and he says this in Ephesians 3. This is a prayer that he prays for the church and, by extension, for you and me. He says, for this reason, the fact that we can have boldness in our access to God, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, Father's house, J.B., according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, here's, here's, the, here's the crux, may be able to comprehend, there's the word, with all the saints, what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness 
of God. Man, that's a powerful verse. That's a prayer. Paul is praying that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. The knowledge of of, of God's love fills you. And our response is to make ourselves available to to, to him. Now, you know, you might ask, I'm filled with knowledge, great. How does that translate to me being available to God? And available to him for what? (laughs) And in fact, you might even ask, what on earth would he want to use me for? You know, how could I play a part in his greatest story for humanity? How could I possibly be available to God for some kingdom purpose that he has in mind? Well, very simply, when you're available to God by implication, you're making yourself unavailable to other things. What does that mean? There's a shift in priorities that takes place, right? When you're saying, God, I love you too. I'm available to you. It's no longer me, it's him. It's no longer my ways, but his ways. It's no longer my preferences, but his plan. You see, when you, when you apprehend the love that you've been given by God and learn to love, to agape in the same way, the automatic consequence is that you will do what he asks you to do. That's a very, very important order. It's a very, very important order. That it's, a, it's a function of your relationship with him. Jesus says something in John 14, right? We're going to get to it now, which is, which is quite remarkable. It's, it's spoken about a lot on this point, but there's a lot of confusion on it, I think, as well. So I'm going to read the scripture, and then I'm going to unpack it for us using the analogy of marriage. Why are we on marriage the whole day? I don't know. Maybe it's a word for someone in season. But John 14, right? Just think of it in this context. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. That's the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Do you guys get that? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. What's he saying? How is this part of our response by being available to God? Well, analogy of marriage. Suppose you're at your wedding day. For some of us, that wasn't so long ago. Newly married couples in the house. But suppose you're at your wedding day and you're standing up at the aisle, looking lovingly in your partner's eyes, you know, holding hands, about to place the ring on on his or her finger. And the pastor or priest, as I've been called before, says to you, says to the groom, because you have agreed to be with her in sickness and in health, you have to love her. Would that be a bit weird? Or, and then he says to the bride, and to the bride, because you are, because you said you are forsaking all others, being faithful to this man for as long as you both shall live, you have to love him. It would be a bit weird that, 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 because of a rule or command, you are required to love. That wouldn't really make for a very connected relationship, would it? Because this rule exists, I have to love you. No, actually, the power of that verse is, if you love me, Jesus says, the automatic consequence is that you follow in obedience. Lloyd, it's because you love Kelly that you fulfill your vows to her. That order is so, so important. The love produces the action. The command doesn't force me to love Jesus. My love for Jesus compels me to honor the command. Do you see that order? 
if you love me, Jesus says, the natural consequence is that you will follow me. You will obey my commands. And this is why Jesus, when he was asked by an expert in the law, what's the greatest commandment of all 600? 600 and something. There's not just 10, right? There's over 600 that were given. He's, try, he's trying to trap him. He says, Lord, what's the, what's the greatest? And Jesus responds with these words in Matthew 22. Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Friends, being filled with agape for God produces a determination to live for him. That's what it does. The love of God compels us to live for him, and living for him means that we are available to him. It's part, of, it's part of the function of our relationship with God, and that's how we apprehend what we have received and live with love and, and, and are available to him. Can you say amen to that this morning? It's a function of your relationship with God. So the first one, this is how we live with love. We apprehend, we comprehend, and we make ourselves available. And secondly, not only should we do that, we should also share what we have gained with others for God. We're available to him, and then we share what we have gained with others for God. Jesus says in that second verse that the, that the second command is like the first one. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see how important that connection is. It's almost like when you know how much you've been loved, the natural reaction is that you want to love others. There's a flow that takes place there. It's really, really important. That order is important. First John 4, chapter 9, beautiful passage on love. Go and read it as homework for for uh, uh, today. This is what it says. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, here's the flow. Here's the second point. If God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. It's not a command, Lloyd, you know, do this because. It's because of the love. The love prompts the response. We love from a place of being loved by God. We, lo we live from a place of acceptance, from a place of affirmation. And you know, this, this, this kind of love towards others isn't easy, right? We know it's not easy. Matthew chapter 5, it's not on the screen, but it says things like, love your enemies. Oh, that's a horribly convicting verse. Bless those who persecute you. Give and don't expect anything in return. It's like, yo, yeah, that's what agape is. <laughs> There's a lot of descriptions in the Bible that we could use to help us unpack this, but, but coming back to this key passage in 1 Corinthians 13, what did it mean to, to, the, to the church then during, during this time this, this letter was, was written to love one another with God's kind of love? Well, I think the clue is placed is in where 1 Corinthians 13 is placed in, in, in the Bible. It's between two passages on spiritual gifts. And what's particularly interesting is in, chapter, is in chapter 14, it's an entire chapter devoted to the spiritual gift of prophecy. Fascinating. And this is, this is where the rubber hits the road, I guess, in a way, when it comes to our saying yes to that second one, being willing to share what we have received with others. 1 Corinthians 12, spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14, Spiritual gift, prophecy. 1 Corinthians 13, love. Love is central to the gifts, and without it, they're meaningless. But with it, if you're taking notes, 
Prophecy is love made audible. Tongues are love made personal. And gifts are love made tangible. Prophecy is love made audible. Tongues are love made personal. And gifts are love made tangible. Friends, we've been, we've been called to live a life of purpose and meaning by sharing with others what we have received from God. How do we do that? In this context, we build up, we stir up, and we cheer up. That is the purpose of spiritual gifts to the church. Sorry if you've seen another version of it. But that's what prophecy is. Build up, stir up, cheer up. That is love made audible. And that is how we live with meaning and purpose in our spiritual journeys. Amen. Sometimes human words won't cut it (laughs) when it comes to sharing what we have received with others. Sometimes human words just won't cut it. You won't have the words to share that word of encouragement with someone who needs it. You won't know how to love that person that seems unlovable to everyone else. You won't have the natural strength or ability on your own to equip and encourage and bind up someone else who's broken. But the Holy Spirit of God can reveal to you how to do it. And he is the one that helps us live with the love of God towards others. This is how the world will know that we're followers of Jesus, by the way. This is what sets us apart. This is how they will recognize Jesus' love in you and me, the church. And just imagine for a moment where Jesus' words in John 13, 35 were true of a body of believers like this. When he said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Imagine. By this, everyone will know that Father's House, Jeffrey's Bay, is my disciples. By how they love one another. Friends, we have received a love so great that nothing in all creation can separate us from God. That's Romans 8. Amazing coffee. Uh, amazing Passage of scripture, go and read it for another free coffee in heaven. We've, we've received, we've, we've received this undeserving acceptance into God's family through the work of his son, Jesus, on the cross, on our behalf. And we have a call on our lives as the church to love others in the same way. And we started our conversation this morning by asking the question, what, what's the purpose to life? What's the, what's the purpose? What's the meaning of living? And, and, I guess this is the summary of the good news of the gospel that we devote our lives to, to growing in and, and, and learning from as followers of Jesus. A lot of people have been searching for the meaning of life. A lot of people have been looking for purpose, not realizing that all the while the author of life has been searching for you. And that by loving him, by being available to him and loving others through him is the starting point to living a meaningful life. Lord, searching for meaning, meaning in life, and the author of life is going, I've been looking for you. You That's why someone says something like, I found God. I didn't realize he was lost. (laughs) You understand what I mean? He's been searching for us all along, and our response as his children is to simply say, Lord, I'm available to you. I'm making myself available to you. I've apprehended what you've given me and I'm making myself available. And then 
I'm willing to share what I have received with others. I'm going to close with this verse. See, I've got two minutes left. I've been cutting back the word by a couple of minutes that we finish at 10 past. Because a Christian without coffee is not really a Christian. I'm joking. Lloyd without lunch is not really a Christian. That, that's, that's me. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with this verse. And um, I guess all the preachers in the world couldn't say it better than these words in Romans 5. Same, same Paul, writing to a different church in Rome. He says this, Therefore, this is the good news, friends. Since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, there's our frame, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully, that's hope, look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials and potholes. For we know that they help us develop endurance. What does endurance develop? Strength of character. What does that develop? Confident hope of salvation. And here's the power. And this hope, this hope of salvation will not disappoint. For we know how dearly God loved us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, oh, unlovable. <laughs> Couldn't give him anything. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. It's a God pay love, friends. That's what we have received. And that's the call that we have this morning, I believe, to apprehend, to say, Lord, I'm available to you. I'm not available to these other things anymore. <laughs> we'll shift in priorities. And then, and then my response is to share that which I received from you with others. And I do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you say amen to that this morning, church. Would you mind standing with me as he closes in a word of prayer together? Thanks, Rob. Um, it was probably one of the hardest uh, "what not to say" is message that I've had to that I've had to do because there was so much that could be said on this topic of God's love. But I hope that it's been a maybe a little bit of a refreshing reminder or some form of encouragement to when we leave here now in a couple of minutes and when we go to our place of work tomorrow or go to our family, we have a we have a maybe a greater sense, a greater awareness of this call that we have. Because you know, this this good news that we talk about, the salvation that we have received, it's, it was never intended for us to keep to ourselves. One of the Father's house, you know, sayings is don't forget to keep the door open for the next person. Just like someone kept the door open for you. And it all speaks to this idea that we've received this love from God and so we share that love with others. And maybe it's inspired a little bit of seeking after spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, right? They're there. And they haven't stopped. There's, there's still a need to share this good news. Maybe we can find some refreshing from the Spirit this week as we step out and do that. Because this is how we live, pointing our spiritual journeys in the right direction. This is how we avoid aimlessness. This is how we live with purpose. It's living on purpose with God's love. So let's just take a moment and commit ourselves to, to doing that, I guess. And um, we're going we're gonna to just pray for a moment and I'm going to ask everyone just to close their eyes just for a moment of worship and reflection on what we've heard. And 
the message that God might be wanting to share with us today. And so, Father, we thank you so much for the gift of salvation. That is the, that's the foundation. That's the starting point of why we're here. You first loved us. And this morning, Jesus, even in a, in a fresh way, we ask that you would help open our eyes and our, our minds, our hearts, to, to receive the, the, the truth of that love, this love that conquered death, that cost you so much, and that you were so willing to pay so that we would be accepted. Thank you, Father, just the right time you died for us. And Father, not only that, we pray that you would help us by your Spirit to share this good news. Father, it's too good to keep to ourselves. And so this week, even as we walk out of this building this morning, by your Spirit, make us sensitive and aware of, of, of those opportunities to share this good news. It's not in our own strength. It's not in our own words. So we needn't be afraid. It's by your Spirit. And Jesus, it's for your glory. And so we thank you, Father, so much for your love that forgives us, your love that accepts us, that is our hope for eternity. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing that to us every day. And Father, we also pray that as we say yes in our availability to you, you would help us say no to things that are not from you. Help us rearrange those priorities. We want to live our lives with meaning. We want to live our lives on purpose, pointing towards our eternal destiny with you. Thank you so much, Father, that love will abide and our hope is, is, is in you for eternity, that we would grow and develop our love for you even more when we see you face to face. We want others to experience that also, Lord. So we commit ourselves to being your hands and your feet as your church, the chosen vehicle to bring this good news to the world. And we thank you so much for this privilege. We commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father's House family. Um, I really have enjoyed sharing this series with you. Look forward to a new one next week. I uh, hope that you will stick around after us for a cup of coffee uh, at the coffee shop. Otherwise, personal prayer up front, communion available as well. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll see you again on Sunday otherwise. God bless everyone. Thank you.